Amen. You know, I really believe uh, that that's prophetic about ripping off your shirt, or my shirt, I mean. Um, I had a dream like three or four days ago, and in the dream, this is no lie, this was Jesus. In the dream, I was preaching with my shirt off. I'm not even lying. And then Pastor Sunny was in the, you know, she was in the crowd, and I looked at her, and I was like, Mama, you said that your ceiling is our ground floor. I'm just taking it to a whole new level. And no lie, I didn't say this first, but David O had his shirt off with me. Yeah. So I just really believe that God is doing uh, My faith still getting to that level. I'm still believing to get there. But I really believe that God is doing something extremely powerful. Um, that our pastor's ceiling truly is our ground floor. And they want it that way. They want us to see things taken beyond what they've seen in their lives and in their experiences. And so we're believing God to do that. Amen? Um, but how many of you missed our pastors? How many, how many of you missed Pastor Benjamin and Pastor Sonny? Um, we missed them. We love them. What we're going to do right now, we're going to pray for them that this last week is so refreshing for them. That this last week is encouraging that God blesses their socks off. They've been ministering um, powerful sermons. If you haven't heard them, check out them on the uh, Living Hope Facebook page. But we're just going to believe God to overwhelm them this last week. So they come back fired up. Amen. Let's just pray for them right now. Lord, we lift up our pastors to you. And God, we thank you for them. Lord, the spiritual mother and father of this house, we say that your presence goes before them. And you are with them. And you will give them rest, God. Father, we declare that they are going to be strong. That they are going to be refreshed, Lord. That even as they're enjoying their time, Lord God, that joy, great joy is going to fill their hearts. Lord, we pray that they're going to come back with renewed vision, renewed faith, God. Just a renewed faith for this city and for this Bay Area and for this body, Lord God. We declare they are covered that they are loved and we thank you for them lord in jesus name we pray amen amen Amen. they've been having a powerful time exciting time check it out on facebook they're posting everything it's awesome um but we're so thankful for to god for them and we can't wait till they get back well this morning i want to talk to you today about the risk of faith i want you to look to your neighbor and say the risk of faith the risk of faith you know I'm so proud of my nephew. I have a nephew. He's about 15, 16 years old. Um, I probably should know that, but he's one of those. And I'm so, so proud of him. And his name is Johnny Maxwell. And yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I just get it, girl. Hey, oh, hold on. Don't get that. <laughs> but you know, keep it holy, whatever you can do. But six, 15, 16 years old. And this year he aired on live TV or on TV on the X Factor. Now, for those of you who don't know what the X Factor is, it's this show that's aired just all around the world. And you go out and you audition, and there was San Francisco auditions. So people all throughout California, anywhere around this area could audition. And my nephew took the risk to go out to San Francisco and stand in front of those judges and use his talents and just go after his dream. And I was so proud of him. You know, he went to Florida for three weeks. He made it past the first round, the audition round, went to Florida for the three weeks. They put him in a group and they didn't make it all the way. But I'm so proud of him for taking that risk and going out and doing it. You know, people could look at that and say, well, well, he didn't make it. So whatever. And no, there's even people that I saw on some of his videos and stuff. They were hating and putting stuff. And I just want like the spirit of holy smash on somebody came upon me. And I just wanted to like just. Okay, I'm not going to say what I want to do, but I just want to be like, man, why y'all hating? So many times people just hate when other people are willing to step out and take a risk and pursue, you know? And uh, there was one of the guys on X Factor, we were watching the show, and he was probably like 50 years old, 40 years old, something, 45, 50, somewhere around there. 
And he was out there and they asked him the question, like, how long have you been rehearsing? How long have you been practicing? And he says, I've been practicing for a year and a half. And so I'm thinking, all right. So, you know, because you can't tell, you can't always tell how, many, how much skill somebody has by the way they look. I mean, some people look like they ain't got nothing. They just blow and they're like, dang, right? Some people come on all glamour and they're like, ooh, you just, good job for trying. Good job for trying, right? But the dude came out and I was like, I'm not going to judge him. I'm not going to judge him. And he just comes out and he starts singing and like, they just stop him and they're like, that was horrible. Like, did you really just do that? And they start smashing on him and you just see his face drop. And dude, like, my heart dropped. I saw that. I was like, dang, that's like a shady. And so he, like, blasted Demi Lovato and was like, well, at least I don't use auto-tunes, right? He was just clowning and stuff. And uh, it was shady. I mean, he got mad. They got mad. It was just this craziness. But in my heart, I was like, even though he didn't make it, he took the risk and did it. How many millions of people are sitting at home clowning but wouldn't be willing to get up and use their gift or talent and try to revolutionize the world? And so at least they tried. At least they took the step. At least they took the risk. And I think about my nephew, and I'm so proud of him because not only did he just say, man, I got this dream. I have this gift. I have this passion. But he said, I'm going to go after it. I'm going to go after it, and I'm not going to hold back. You know, when we talk about risk, a lot of times we're so afraid to really delve into it. Why? Because risk is exposure, the exposure to the chance of injury or loss. Risk is an exposure to the chance of injury or loss. It's the exposure to a hazardous situation or something that is possibly damaging. And many times we don't want to risk because we're afraid of the loss that we may suffer if we actually step out and take the risk. You know, my cousin or my nephew, when he goes out there, I mean, he risks a lot. I mean, some of y'all might say, well, he ain't got a lot. He's 15, 16 years old. Well, he got a reputation. And you may say, well, he didn't have much of a reputation before that. You're right. But he had his dream, and he risked putting his dream on the line, making it vulnerable. He risked his gifts. He risked people clowning. He risked people smashing. He risked people like naysaying, all of that kind of stuff. He risked the way that people would look at him, the way that people would view him. Many times we don't want to step out into the the arena of faith or the stage of faith because we're so afraid of the panel of judges that are looking at us and may reject us. We're so afraid of the panel of judges that are going to criticize the step of faith that we took or the place that God is leading us. We're so afraid that people are going to look at us and smash on us and clown us and reject us. And so what we do, we don't take the risk. We don't take the chance to expose ourselves to loss or to injury or to fear. Because you know that to take a risk, to enter into risk really is to step into faith. To enter into risk is really to step into faith. And when you begin to step out in faith, You have to be willing to enter into uncertain circumstances. You need to be willing to enter into situational insecurities. But many times, that's a very scary thing, right? How many of you want to do something and you don't know what the outcome is going to be? Raise your hand. I got like two crazy ones, right? Okay, we got about half. Now, the other personality type, how many of you want to know what you're going to do before you're going to do it? And you want to know what's going to happen when you do it, right? Just be real. How many of you love the sense of security to know that if I do A, I'm going to get B? That if I put one and two together, I'm going to get three. I mean, who wants to put one and two together and get minus five? It's foolishness, right? In the natural. But when you begin to step into faith, you have to be willing to enter into situational uncertainty, 
You have to be willing to enter into places and into situations that are insecure. That are maybe even seemingly unstable. But often, it's a very scary thing to do. And when God begins to call us, you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't promise us details. He doesn't. When God begins to call us, he doesn't promise us the step-by-step plan all of the time. Now, for those of us who like to plan, that freaks us out. Because we want a sense of control. Just be real. When you're in control, you feel safe most of the time. But I want to share something with you. Presence is far more powerful than content. Presence is far more powerful than content. I'm going to let that sit because some of y'all didn't get that yet. Jesus' presence is far more powerful than the details that he gives us in our lives. And a matter of fact, Jesus never promised details. When he called the disciples to come and follow him, he didn't say, look, come follow me. And here's what's going to happen for the next 10 years of your life. He didn't say this is the exact plan and the exact steps that you're going to take. All he said was, come follow me. You're going to do it or you're not. Your choice. But what he did promise was presence. We see in Acts 1, 6 through 9, when Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven. Right? The disciples at that time, they're eager. They're ready. They're like, okay, we took the step of faith at first. We took that risk at first. You said drop everything. Man, I even left my pops over there working on the fishing line. Now he's mad at me. But I left everything to come follow you, Jesus. And it didn't happen the way we wanted it to. I mean, we thought you were going to restore Israel and you died. Okay? We know we can live with that because you rose from the dead. All right? So that's cool. You, You worked it out. You know what I'm saying? So I'm willing to take a step of faith with you. But now, are you ready to restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, Jesus, what's going to happen? Are you going to do it at this time? And you know what? Jesus doesn't say, come here. Hey, Peter. All right, here's what I'm about to do. I'm about to go into heaven. And for the next three years, I'm going to build my church. And this is exactly how I'm going to do it. You know what Jesus said? He said, it's not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his authority. But you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus didn't promise them detail. He promised them his presence. He said, my very spirit is going to go with you. I'm not going to give you the times or dates. I'm not going to let you know when I'm going to restore the kingdom to Israel. But what I'm going to give you is my spirit to live with you and to be in you. He told the disciples in John chapter 16, he says, the Holy Spirit, he's going to be with you and he's going to be in you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. But he didn't also didn't give them all the details of what was going to happen next. You have to, when you begin to step into faith, you have to be willing to face circumstantial uncertainty. You need to be okay with ambiguity. You need to be okay with things that you don't know. Because God does know. Because the one that calls you does know. You need to be willing and ready to go into circumstances that are uncertain. Knowing that the one that called you into those circumstances is certain. He's not shaken. He's not moved. He's not, he's not any of these. All, all those things, God does not be, he's not moved by them. The question is, are you willing to take the risk of faith to enter into his certainty when you're feeling like you want everything to be certain? And when you're feeling like you want the details of that certainty. You know, there's a quote by Oswald Chambers, really encouraging quote. And this is what he says. To be certain of God means that we are uncertain in all our ways. We do not know what a day may bring forth. This is generally said with a sigh of sadness. It should rather be an expression of breathless expectation. Let's just keep it real. 
when God says follow, we want to know everything that's coming next. And when we enter into places that are uncertain, what ends up happening is everything inside of us starts to get antsy. Is that real or not? Everything inside of us starts, anxiety begins to creep up. Worry and fear. All of these things begin to shake us and we're like, okay, I I got, I could believe you, right? When you said that this person was going to give me this check, but now you're telling me to stick a step of faith and I don't know where the funds are going to come from. I don't know about that, God. And what ends up happening when we enter into this uncircumcised situations, that that anxiety and, and stress begins to overtake us. When as Oswald Chambers says, rather, there should be a breathless expectation. We should be able to say, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen, but you better believe it's going to be good. Because my God is good. And in all things, he works for my good. And his goodness never ends and it endures throughout all generations. There should be an expectation that says, man, I can't wait to see what God's going to do. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know what it's going to look like. Matter of fact, I don't know when it's going to happen. But what I do know is that if God is leading me there, that it's going to be good. Faith demands risk. If it's not risk, it's not faith. Faith demands risk. If it's not risk, it's not faith. Some of us, God is calling us to step into faith in certain areas of our lives, but we're so afraid of it. We're so afraid of regretting maybe what's going to happen if we do, if it fails. We're so afraid of the disillusionment that may overtake us if what we believe God to do doesn't happen. But I had my image of what God wants to do and it didn't happen. So disillusionment sets in. Now, I'm not willing to take that risk anymore. Mark Twain, one of America's great authors, he wrote, 20 years from now, you'll be more disappointed by the thing you didn't do than by the ones you did do. So throw off the bow lines. Sail away from the safe harbor. Catch the trade winds in your sails. Explore, dream, and discover. So many of us are in our lives right now. And we have to begin to reach a point where we're so fed up with what is not happening and what we're not seeing that we're forced to believe God to do what he says. How long do we have to go through the same things over and over? How long do we have to experience surface level Christianity before we actually believe God to do what he promised? And we actually believe God to reveal himself the way that he promised to. You see. We don't want to enter into a place of uncertainty because we're going to risk our safety. For me, I don't see it that way. I cannot risk the potential greatness that God has for me for my sense of safety. You know, when I was in Korea, I was really stepping out in faith. And when I was sharing it during the conference and, you know, words of knowledge or different things that God was giving me, I was really stepping out in faith. And I had to put everything on the line. And I had one truth that came to my heart that I had to really face was, I can't allow the fear of failure to become greater than my faith for God to do greater things. I need to be willing to step out of what I think is comfortable. Because if God really wants to do greater things, it's risking too much to not step into that. It's too much of a risk. That risk outweighs my risk of safety. I'd rather enter into a place where I feel insecure, but I'm completely safe because I'm in the presence of God. And what God wants to do, he wants to move us to that place. You know, Abraham, when God told him to step out in faith and to leave his land, there was so much risk there. So much possible loss. 
Abraham could have been cut off from his people. He could have been cut off from his family line. He could have went to a country that he didn't know, and there would just be desert and nothing. And leave his father's house where it was lavish. But what did he do? He was willing. He was willing to take a step of faith, willing to enter into potential loss and potential ruin and stand on the one who promised him. You know, there's a story in this book. Um, it's called In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. Pastor Mark Batterson, he writes about another pastor named Pastor Lee. And he said, my friend, Pastor Lee, he worked for Microsoft and he was one of the major leaders in Microsoft. And he said, this man was worth millions of dollars. He had 16,000 share options that were worth in themselves millions of dollars. He was making six digits every single year. And God told him, I want you to let go of your Microsoft job and I want you to plant a church. And do it. He said, he, everything inside of him was like, what? You want me to let go of the financial stability that I can have, God? To go and, and the church salary was 26000 at that time. He went from six figures to 26000 Less than $2,500 a month. God, you want me to take that step of faith? Once he told his boss, I'm getting ready to go, they looked at him like he was crazy. I mean, hold up. This little voice in your head told you to leave your stable job. This little voice in your head told you to leave your security. This little voice in your head said, drop your retirement, your 401k. This little voice in your head is telling you to go plant a church. And hold up, you're willing to do it? Okay, you know what? We'll pay you more. They gave him the option. They told him, we'll pay you more. We'll give you more stock options. And he said, I can't do it. He was willing to take the risk of faith. And you know what he did as well? He didn't just take the step of faith. This is what he told God. He said, God, if I'm going to give up my business dream, if I'm going to give up all of this business stream, if I'm going to give up all of these thousands of dollars, I'm asking for one soul for every single share option that I'm giving up. If you want me to take a step of faith, God, I'm asking you to meet that step of faith and bring salvations. And at this day right now, his church is averaging 6,000 people every single Sunday. He was willing to take the risk of faith. Why? Because faith demands risk. It demands risk. It demands that we get fed up with where we're at and we're willing to let God propel us and to do something that we've never done. If you want to see God do something that you've never seen done, you got to be willing to step into something that's never been done. You need to be willing to pray prayers that have never been prayed. To go places that have never been gone to. You need to be willing to step out of the unfamiliar or out of the familiar into the unfamiliar. You know, I was praying this week and God was really stirring my heart. And um, he was asking me the question of Joseph, why don't you pray more? And I was like, God, that was a good question. <laughs> and I said, honestly, I'm going to just keep it real. 21 days of prayer, you know, 10 days of prayer, all night prayer. I, mean, I was, God, sometimes I feel like it's a burden. I feel like that's a lot of hours and I get tired. That's a lot of sacrifice. That's just, can I keep it real? I'm a pastor. Come on. I know some of y'all are feeling that. Y'all are like, nah, man, I don't ever feel that, pastor. I'm, I'm, she, she, you tripping, man. She, I'm a holy, you know what I'm saying? I got my faith. And God said, you know what, Joseph? It's not that you don't have the energy for it. It's not that you don't have the time for it. He said, you know, really, why, why you don't pray that way? And he said, it's because you don't believe that I answer you. 
And I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I felt like I just got punched in the stomach, kicked in the head, kneed in my groin, and then all my hair got pulled out. I was on the ground. I was just like, God, for real? And I was like, well, you got you to gotta, you gotta increase my faith in prayer. And not, in the, not just the, the, the function of prayer. You have to increase my faith in you because you're the God that answers prayer. You're the God who says, my ears are attentive to the prayers of the righteous. You know, when we enter into this 10 days of prayer, it's not about the method. It's not about the function. It's not even about the 10 days. Do you believe that our God is the God that answers prayer? And are you willing to pray prayers that have never been prayed before? Throw your disillusionment to the side. Throw your unbelief to the side. Throw your doubt. Well, what if I pray and God doesn't answer? Who cares? Pray some more. Trust him. Stand on his promise. Don't allow disillusionment to set in your heart just because one thing didn't happen. Come on. If you're an athlete and you strike out in a major league baseball game, are you never going to show up to the plate again? If your faith fails you as a pitcher and you get bombed on, are you never going to pitch again? No, you're going to stand up and you're going to say, okay, that didn't happen that time. Well, I'm going to keep believing. I'm going to keep standing. I'm going to keep working at it. Faith is the same way. You got to keep stepping out. You got to keep believing. You got to keep going forward because God is the God that answers. You know, Daniel, God took me to the story. And this is really where I started getting convicted and God began to hit me with prayer. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel's a wise man in Babylon. Him and his three homies got pulled up out of Jerusalem, out of Israel. And now they're having to serve in the king's palace. And in, in Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar, or the king has a dream. And the dream distressed him so much that he goes, let me drink some water real quick. Hallelujah. That the king was distressed so much, he goes and says, I want all of my wise men to come here. All my magicians, all my demon-possessed fortune tellers. Because that's really what they were. Just keep it real. You know what I'm saying? They were witches, warlocks. They were demon-possessed men and women, or men at that time. And so he says, here's what's going to happen. I want all of you to come here, and I need you to interpret my dream. But there's a kick. I'm not going to tell you what the dream is. You need to tell me that too. And not only that, here's a spoiler alert. If you don't tell me the dream and the interpretation of it, I'm going to kill all of you. This was real life situation, y'all. And you know, one of those wise men were, were Daniel and his friends. Those wise men were Daniel and his friends. They were in that bunch too. So first he calls all these people and he says, if you don't tell me my dream and you don't tell me the interpretation of it, you're all dead. And so what happens is his servant goes, they call the magicians, all that kind of stuff. They come to the king and they're like, look, king, what you're asking, nobody in the world could do it. Only the gods could interpret this. Even our demons don't know what you dreamed. Just keep it real. Our demons don't know everything. They're not all powerful and all knowing like God is. Whatever God's out there, there must be some God that knows, but our demons don't know. And so he starts rounding all of the wise men in the land up. Pretty soon, one of the guys goes to Daniel's house. He's like, Daniel, I love you. You're my boy, man, but we, we got to go. And Daniel's like, whoa, 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 hold up. What are you talking? Hold up, what's going on here? He's like, well, the king issued a decree that he, was gonna, he needed all the wise men to interpret his dream for him. And he needed them to tell him what the dream was. And Daniel's like, okay. And the king's like, well, they didn't, they didn't, none of them did it. So sorry, you got to come. You're one of the wise men. You're going to die. And Daniel's like, well, hey, that, that ain't right. You know what I'm saying? That ain't fair. That's not cool, man. That's not even cool. Man, he didn't got no say-so at that time. The king missed you to decree. It's going to happen. But you know what Daniel did? He took a risk and he said, okay, can you just give me some time? Can you just give me some time? Hold up. Just give me some time. And the servant said, okay. 
Daniel went. He grabbed his boys. And he said, look, guys, we got to pray a prayer that ain't never been prayed. Amen. We got to believe for something that ain't never been done before. There ain't no demon-possessed wise man and magician in this land that could tell this king what his dream is and what the interpretation was. But we got to ask the God of heaven to do it. And that night, they begin to pray. They begin to intercede. I just imagine them having a prayer time, an all-night prayer moment. But then Daniel falling asleep because the Bible says while he was asleep, God downloaded the king's dream into his mind. While Daniel was sleeping. See, some sleep during prayer is holy sleep. right? While Daniel was sleeping in prayer... The spirit of God downloaded the king's dream to him. Daniel woke up the next morning and he went to the king and he said, this was your dream. And this is the interpretation. And here was the kick as well. The king said before, if I don't like your interpretation of the dream, I'm going to kill you. So he had another risk. Okay, I got the dream now, but what if the king don't like it? What if he don't like the dream? And what if he don't like the interpretation of it? It doesn't matter. I'm darned if I do. I'm darned if I don't. So I'm going to do. And boom, he went and gave the interpretation and he gave the dream. And the king at that moment said, there is no God. There is no God like the God of Daniel's all throughout all throughout Daniel. You hear the king say that. And so he was so sad, even when Daniel was about to get thrown into the lion's den. And the king issued the decree that nobody could pray to any other person than himself. Because he saw himself as a God. He knew that Daniel prayed to the Lord. And when Daniel got thrown into the lion's den, the king wept and he became distressed because he knew that even if all his other magicians were fake, he knew that Daniel was real. If all the other ones were phonies, he knew that Daniel's God was real. Why? Because Daniel was willing to take a risk of faith and he was willing to believe for God to do something that had never been done. Man, we don't see that happen anywhere else in scripture. Where God gives a man a dream and the interpretation of the dream that another person had. But he was willing to pray a prayer that had never been prayed. Risk, risk is a part of faith. Faith takes risk. Amen. Yes. The more you're willing to risk, the more you will see God move. Hallelujah. The more you're willing to risk, the more willing God is to move. Mm. When you look at, you know, Nehemiah. And the, the walls in, in, in Jerusalem were tore down. And Nehemiah went before the king and he made a request. Can you let me go back to my people? He risked his life, his reputation, his future, his everything. Because at that moment, the king could have said, no, you're dead. You're asking to leave my court and leave my service? But what did God do? When Nehemiah was willing to take that big risk, God moved on the heart of the king. And he said, you know what? Go with supplies. You know, it, sometimes I get so frustrated with where I'm at in my Christianity. I'm going to just keep it real. And where the body of Christ is at. Because here we got the God of all creation who's our God, our king, our healer, our savior, our miracle worker. But yet we got people in the secular world taking far greater risks than we are. Michael Jordan, do you know that man got cut from high school basketball? Y'all didn't know that, huh? Crowdy chop somebody say, get that in your spirit. Michael Jordan, he went out to high school basketball team and he got cut. But did that stop him? Was he afraid of his reputation and what people were going to continue to say about him? Was he a man? I can't go out next time because I may be horrible. You know what? That risk, that first risk to, to be humiliated propelled him into the next risk and the next risk and the next risk. And now he's one of the greatest basketball players that ever walked planet Earth. Man, the Beatles... 
You know the Beatles, when they first got their recording contract, it was cut. They got a recording contract, and it, they, they, they termined the, their producers terminated the contract early. They said, these men are not fit for the music industry. <laughs> they took a risk to use their gifts and their talents. And they were doing good for a second, and then they were cut. Did that stop them? These men continue to risk time after time. They risk hate mail. They risk people hating on them. They risk all of these things. And then they revolutionize the world by their music. You can go all over the world and people will have heard of the Beatles. The Beatles. Because they were willing to risk. Oprah. She is not a Christian. Just keep it real. Things that she speaks of are against Christ. But you know that God still uses that woman? Amen. And do you know that she has revolutionized the world? Amen. But do you know that when she, was, she had her first anchor position, they fired her? Mm-hmm. They said, this woman is not fit for television. Her personality, everything about her, she is not fit for the screen. But she was willing to continue to take risks. She was willing to continue to step out. And now her life impacts the world. Thomas Edison, the man that created the light bulb. Do you know how many times he failed? Over 10,000 recorded times Thomas Edison failed at creating the light bulb. He risked being looked at like a man who was insane. His reputation, everything that finances, he put it all on the line. And this was a man in the secular arena. He failed 10,000 times, but one time he got it. And it revolutionized the world. If we got people in the world that are willing to do these things, how much more should we do in the kingdom of God? How much more should we believe for God to do things that we've never seen done before? Especially if we have his word that he promises to do them in. You see, if you are willing to risk everything, then there is no limit to what God can do in you and what God can do through you. Twelve disciples, Jesus changed the world. You look in Times Magazine, we're one of the, the, the most influential people in the world, and you'll see Paul the Apostle. Amen. This man revolutionized the world, secular and religious. Why? Because he was willing to give God everything. Yeah. He was willing to give God everything. And people may not believe what he believed in, but he transformed the world by his faith. Are you willing To risk everything. Are you willing to step out of the place of safety. And begin to stand on the one who promises. Not just on the promise. But on the one who promises. You see faith without action is just wishful thinking. Faith without action is just wishful thinking. It's most about. Well I got God. I got faith for God to move in my life. Well what are you doing to see it done? I'm believing. And I'm going to believe heck of good too. Unless you're willing to step out. And risk. All that is, is wishful thinking. Unless you're willing to move into the area where you stand upon the promise and the one who promised, all you're doing is hoping. You're hoping that something's going to turn around. You're hoping that something's going to change. You're hoping that your situation's going to become different. But if you're not willing to step out in faith and begin to act, then you're really not entering into the risk of faith. You're still dabbling in the place of security. You're still cowering, really cowering in the place of certainty. We need to allow God to move us into the place where our faith is willing to go to the place of risk. 
We're willing to say, God, I don't care what I'm going to look like. I don't care what's going to happen next. I don't care what I'm going to do. And I'm not talking about a blind faith. See, some of y'all may say, oh, well, it's just faith and believing in, in anything. Faith in, no, it's faith and believing in the promise and the one who promised. Amen. See, in order for your faith to grow, you must be placed in the situations where faith is demanded. You must be placed in the situations where you have to rely on the one who promised. Amen. You know, Jesus, he's with his disciples and he's preaching and he's sharing. And there's 5,000 men, probably about 10,000 people because it didn't include women and children at the time. 5,000 men at that spot. And while he's there, the disciples are like, Jesus, man, people are hungry. So you better send them off to go get something to eat. And you know what he says? He's like, hey, that's a great idea, man. That's a good idea. We should just send these people to go get something to eat. He looks at them and says, you feed them. Hold up. What you talking about, Lord? Hey, Jesus, your church is messed up. Living hope. Hey, they got some crazy people in there. Man, body of Christ all throughout the world. You know how jacked up that was, Jesus? Man, you better just, you better just kill it. We see things that look like problems. And what, you just want God to just kill it? God's just supposed to quit on his body? No, he turns to the disciples and you know what he says? You feed him. Well, uh, shoot. Hey, we ain't got nothing. You got something. What you got? All we got is these two, two fishes and these five loaves. Okay, cool. You give me the stuff. I'll believe for it. We have to be willing to be put into situations where faith is demanded. If you want God to see, you want to see financial breakthrough, well, don't be afraid to enter into a financial bind and steward it while and watch God come through. You want to believe God for healing? Well, guess what? Sick people may come around you then. You want to believe God for, for people, for salvation? Then don't start complaining when God puts you on a job where ain't nobody is saved. Believe him to do it. Believe him to work in that situation. You have to be willing to step into a faith place where faith is absolutely demanded. You know, trying to grow your faith without trying situations is like trying to gain muscle without ever experiencing any type of muscle resistance. See, some of us see Charles walk around in his extra medium shirts and we're like, dang, that boy look good. That boy's chest is all sticking out. His biceps are bulging. Like, dang. But it's like, I'm about to get that big. Okay, what you going to do? Well, I'm going to watch TV all day and I'm going to eat my Honey Nut Cheerios and my Fruity Pebbles. You want to get bigger. You want to get stronger. You want to get healthier. But you're not willing to enter into a place where you're forced to. You're not willing to enter into a place where you have to do it. Faith must be exercised. Some of them are like, well, God's not doing great things in my life. Well, what are you believing him to do? And what are you stepping out to see him do? You see, when we begin to enter into faith, God's faithfulness, when we begin to enter into the place where we see God show his faithfulness, it first takes a step of faith. But what happens is a lot of times we're like, hold up, God, we want you to prove yourself first and then I'll believe. Right. Someone says, I love you. Well, prove it. Hey, man, I got your back. Well, prove it. Hey, I'm gonna hook you up when you need it. Okay, well, prove it. God says, nah, I'm not proving nothing. Will you believe me? When God called Abraham, he didn't say, Abraham, I'm gonna give you evidence of what I'm going to do next and then step out in faith. He said, Abraham, walk outside. All right, you see all these stars? You ain't got no son, right? Okay, cool. You see all these stars? Your offspring's going to be like those. If you can count those, you can count your offspring. Abraham said, shoot, that's legit. Okay, I believe. God credited to him as righteousness. 
We're waiting for God to prove himself faithful before we're willing to step out into the place of faith. And God's saying, I don't work like that. What you really need to begin to do is do what Abraham did. He heard the word of God and faith rose up inside of him. He laid hold of it and he laid hold of it. And then he walked in covenant with God. See, faith is not an evidence issue. It's a relational issue. Get this. Faith is not an evidence issue. It's a relational issue. Jesus did miracle after miracle, sign after sign, wonder after wonder. God destroyed Egypt by his 10, 12 plagues. They still didn't turn to, his, turn to him as a one true God. Jesus did miracle after miracle. Pharisees still didn't believe. God can do the miraculous inside among you, all around you, even in you. That don't mean you're going to believe. The question is, will you be willing to step out in faith? Faith comes from hearing. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing. And hearing comes from the word of God. Faith comes from reading the word of God, saying this is how you proved yourself. This is how you showed yourself. If you want your faith to grow, you get in the word of God. One scripture a day is not enough. You know why? Because we're fickle. We are fickle beings. We forget. God does one thing one week. We're excited about it. We're juiced up. And the next week we're like, dang, God, where you at? Where you at, though? Where you at, God? Where you at? We are fickle beings. That's why God told Joshua, meditate on my word day and night. Don't let it depart from your mouth or from your heart. But meditate on it day and night, Joshua. Why? Because you're going to forget. You got a lot of things going on. You are busy. Your schedule is crazy. You got situation after situation trying to bombard you. You got thought after thought trying to bombard you. Joshua, you need to meditate on my word. You want faith to grow? You need to dive into scripture. You need to dive into it. Why? Because scripture is a messy love letter. Amen. It's messy. Human beings do some jacked up stuff in scripture. Jacked up stuff. But what it shows is how God interacts and proves himself all throughout. It shows how God interacts with those messy people. It shows how God proves himself. It shows how God promises and then he delivers. It shows how God says he's going to do something and then he actually does it. It shows how reliable he is. It shows his love, his mercy, his forgiveness. It shows his grace and his sacrifice. It shows his power, his awesomeness, his signs and his wonders. Why? Paul said all of those things are written so that way you will have through the endurance and encouragement of scriptures that you will not fall away. Scriptures written so you can know that God is who he says that he is. We got to get into the word of God and we got to allow him to build our faith. We got to allow him to strengthen our faith because what you start in faith must be finished in faith. Because what you start in faith, it must be finished in faith. If not, it just turns into a messy attempt. The story of Abraham, right? Father of faith. He steps out. God gives him the promise. He hears the word, grabs it, says, okay, God, I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know what it's going to look like, but you said it's going to be done. So I'm going to stand in faith and I'm going to begin to walk and go to this place I know nothing about. But then time passes by. Situations happen. Circumstances come through. 25 years go by and he don't have a kid. In the middle of that time, in the middle of all those things going on, his faith seemed to wane. I mean, he went to Egypt, he started lying. And he couldn't have a son, so he's like, shoot, I better just get down with Hagar. I better make it happen. And what happened? That strong step of faith turned into a messy attempt. 
He was so powerful. I mean, so awesome. He stepped out. He believed. But somewhere in the middle, he's like, hold on. I got to grab the reins. I got to make this happen. Somewhere in the middle, he said, okay, God's not showing up when he said he was. God's not doing it like he said he was going to do. I got to take control of this situation. We see Peter. Jesus is walking on water. Peter looks at him. He's like, oh, snaps. Oh, shoot. Jesus, if that's you, call me on that water with you. Jesus is like, come. Peter's like, oh, now I'm about to do it. I'm about to do what ain't never been done. I'm about to believe for something what ain't never been believed for. He steps out on the water. He's walking. Then all of a sudden, his faith in Jesus diminishes, and his faith in the terribleness of the circumstance increased. He steps in water, and the Bible says he saw wind. I mean, his faith was so big for the, for the, 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 the uh, terribleness of the situation that he began to see wind. I mean, who sees wind, right? But it says that he looked around, he saw the wind, and then he began to sink. And it turned to a messy attempt. But you know what I think I love about God? Is that he'll meet us even in our messy attempts. God is so faithful and he's so pleased by faith that even in our messy attempts, he'll still meet us. Second Timothy says that even when we're faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot disown himself. God is so good and he's so faithful that even when your faith begins to wane, he's still willing to prove himself. He's still willing for you to show himself as the God who promised you and the God that leading you into the next season of your life. There were two things that Jesus marveled at in scripture. It was faith and unbelief. Faith and unbelief. These two things that moved the heart of Jesus so much was faith and unbelief. I just believe that God has such a soft spot in his heart for faith. Not for people that know all the details, and I praise God because I'm just crazy and I do stuff that I don't think about. But he has a soft spot in his heart for faith. You know, my wife, she could look at me and just be like, baby, you sexy. And I'll be like, oh, dang, that's what's up. I'll be like, all right, baby, what you want me to do? You want me to clean the house? You want me to do dishes? You want me to take you go get a pedicure, manicure? It's just a soft spot in my heart. You want me to make you dinner? I'll buy you flowers. What you want? You want one flower? You want 10 flowers? You want 20 flowers? I'll get you whatever flower you want. There's a soft spot in my heart for when she tells me that. I'm just like, whoa, it just moves me. And I believe it's the same thing with God, just in the arena of faith. I believe when someone steps out of faith, God says, ooh, I got to do something about this. Now, I'm not talking about a blind faith, but I'm talking about a faith that demands God to do what he says. I'm talking about the faith that gets at his throne room and says, God, you're the God that says that you heal. So, Father, heal in this situation. I don't know when you're going to do it, but I'm going to believe for it right now. If it doesn't happen right now, I'm not going to wane because you're still the God that heals. So, God, I demand that you do what you promise. I just see God up in heaven saying, ooh, oh, okay. Oh, you got that, boy. He always responds to faith because without faith, it's impossible to please him. Because those who believe in him or those, yeah, believe in him must come to him and believe that he rewards those who diligently seek him. God responds to faith. And you know what he's doing in this season? He's moving us to a place where we're willing to take the risk of faith. We're willing to trust him to do what he says. We're willing to believe for things we've never believed for. But then we're also willing to believe for one another. Look to your neighbor and say, we're believing for one another. God is calling us to a place where we have faith for one another and where we have faith in one another. You know, Pastor Benjamin and Pastor Sonny, they they took me, they sat me and my wife down and, um, and I love them. 
because I, and I, I feel safe with them. You know why? Because they get blasted by Pastor Daniels and then they come and blast us. But it's not with the blast that they don't themselves first don't receive. You know what I'm saying? They go through it first. And so I'm like thankful to God that he made them a buffer. But me and my wife, we're going through some stuff and they sit us down and they're like, Joseph, it's all your fault. She's like, you know, the real reason it was a situation where my wife wasn't feeling safe. And he said, Joseph, you know, your wife doesn't feel safe because of you. And like in my flesh, everything went on. i be like, oh, hold up. So you don't even know, right? You don't even know what I've been doing, woman. But then my spirit just like, okay, I'm listening. I'm listening. And he said, at any moment that your wife feels unsafe, it's because you as a husband haven't secured her. You haven't had faith for the things that she needs faith for. At any moment when she's feeling insecurity, it's because you haven't stood in the place of faith on her behalf. The way that Jesus stands in the place of faith on our behalf. You haven't yet interceded for her the way that God's calling you to. And I'm not going to lie. Everything in me was like, hold up. See, y'all, y'all just playing that man card. Men are supposed to be the leaders, right? Men are supposed to be like, that ain't even cool. Y'all women just trying to stick together. I ain't going to lie. So I felt. But then I hear when Pastor Sonny says, man, Pastor Daniels rebukes us, and it releases us into a new level of our marriage. And I'm like, shoot, if he's doing that for you, I want that. Shoot, you know what I'm saying? All night long, all day long. I want to walk in intimacy. I want to walk in love. Okay, God's doing it in your life. I want that. Part of that's going through the rebuking process and taking the risk of faith for one. She took a risk of faith to share that with me. She took a risk of faith to share the word of God with me, to share the word of the Lord for that moment with me. And you know what? She took me to the scripture where scripture says that husbands love your wives the way that Christ loved the church and lay his life down for her. And I remember it brought me back to something Pastor Benjamin shared with me right after Abba conference during that week. It was a crazy week, right? I'm gonna just keep it real. Can I keep it real? All right. It was a crazy week, a lot going on. And I didn't have a lot of time to spend with my wife. And in my heart, I'm just thinking, okay, my wife understands. She knows, you know what I'm saying, powerful minister of God. We got a conference. We're going to do all these powerful things. God's going to move. She's going to understand. It's going to be cool. But I wasn't really spending a lot of time with her. I wasn't really asking her how she's doing. I wasn't really catering to her needs. Just be real. I wasn't catering to my wife's needs. And so I put this thing in front of her. And so I'm going through the conference. It's crazy. God did some powerful things. It was awesome, legit. And none of this takes away from what God did. But on Sunday night, I'm just feeling like I'm dead, right? My body's tired. Emotionally, I'm spent. I mean, God did some awesome stuff, but I was tired. And so I'm just thinking, okay, just let me get to Monday. Just let me get to Monday. Then I'll have slept, and then I'll just sit down with my wife. I'll let her talk for as long as she wants to talk, and I'll like it. And it's going to be awesome, right? But Sunday night comes. She gets off of work. It's like 11 o'clock at night. She picks me up from my brother's house, and everything in me is like, I ain't got nothing left. That's what I'm thinking. I don't have anything left. I got nothing left to give her right now. But yet, I had all this faith for hundreds of people that came to the Abba conference. But yet, I can't sit with my wife and pray with her for a moment or talk with her when she's feeling discouraged. I have all this faith over here, and all my faith, so I ain't got nothing. I ain't got nothing. I ain't got nothing. <laughs> 11 o'clock at night, we're driving home, and my wife's like, baby. Um, can you tell me some encouraging things? Baby, I've been telling you encouraging things ever since we've been married. <laughs> Sorry, baby. I don't really got nothing. I, I, oh, I appreciate you, 
Thank you for being understanding this week. Thank you for being patient. Now, nah, baby, can you tell me something deep? I need you to hit me in my heart. I need something that's going to encourage me right now. You're an awesome woman of God, baby. You're powerful. Uh, you're a daughter of the most high. No, babe. Can you tell me something that's real? Tell me something that's deep. What God's speaking right now. Uh, I got faith for everybody else, baby, but I ain't got faith for you right now. I didn't say that. That's how I was feeling. And Monday happened and we got this big old argument, right? And I, I text Pastor Benjamin. I was like, PB, you got to pray, dog. You got to pray because this ain't cool. I can't be doing, seeing God do powerful things out here. Then my wife be all jacked up and feeling whatever, right? That's not cool. And he's like, look at Joseph. You got everything you need to love on your wife right now. He texted me this long ago text message. You have the grace to give her everything that she needs. Because you're called to love her the way that Christ loved the church. You have every ounce of energy that you need because God's spirit is inside of you. You have the words, you have the encouragement, you have the emotional energy. And I'm not going to lie. When I heard that, I was like, man, this, <sighs> I was thinking like, hey, I'm going to give you $50 to go take her out, spend some time with her. He's like, nah, you got what you need. I'm like, no, I don't. If I did, I would have stayed up talking with her last night. And he's like, nah. And at that moment, I had to take a risk of faith. He took a risk of sharing that with me. I could have been like, man, PB, you're a heck of fake. I'm asking for some support right now. You're giving me that you got everything you need. You're giving me the promises of God's word. Come on. And my heart began to turn. And I was like, at that very moment, I was like, you know what? No, I got what she needs. God's placed it inside of me. And so he prepared me. So when Pastor Sonny was smashing on me, I was like, Joseph, she feels insecure and it's your fault. At first, my flesh was like this, but then I was reminded of what PB shared with me. I was just like, you know what, mama? You're right. Getting ready to go to South Korea, I made sure my wife was cared for. As much as I could, I made sure she was encouraged. I made sure I prayed with her. When I came back, the first thing I did on Monday, I was like, I know. I'm just going to invest time in my wife. I'm going to take her out to eat. I'm going to buy her some flowers. I'm going to do all this kind of stuff because I'm going to make sure that she's loved and she's cared for and she's valued, that she's lacking nothing because that's what a man of God should do. That's what a husband should do. That's what Jesus does for his bride. Mm, get that. And all throughout the week, she was telling me, baby, I just need some more love. And I'm not going to lie. In the natural, I'm like, dang, I, I, I gave you everything I got. Like, I, I talked to you straight for 15 minutes telling you positive things. You want some more? Oh, snap. You know what I had to do with those moments? I was like, Jesus, I don't know what to say. Please tell me what to say. And I, sometimes my wife's like, I don't even know what I want to hear. I don't even know what I need. But just, just give me something. And at that moment, I have to say, God, what does she need? They were willing to take the risk of faith to share that stuff with me. Our pastors, our spiritual mother and father, were willing to step out in faith and risk their reputation, risk my thoughts about them, risk whether I was going to say, man, they're heck of surface level. They're just trying to get me to believe. They don't even really care, man. They're just over here judging me, telling me I'm wrong. It's my fault. I'm the man. I'm the husband. I should have more faith. That's heck of fake. <laughs> they were willing to risk all of that to propel me into a place of faith. We have to begin to do that with one another. But what it also takes is a vulnerability. It also takes openness. It takes a willingness to be carried on the mat that you're weak on. In the story in the Gospels, there's a man who's on a mat. He's paralyzed. He can't walk. There's nothing that he can do for himself. But his friends hear that this man named Jesus can heal. And so they go to this house. And they couldn't even get into the house because it was so filled with the crowd that the doors wouldn't even fit no more people through them. Crowds all around the house. Did that stop them? 
They're like, tricks that. Our friend is paralyzed. He needs to be healed. What did they do? They took the risk of faith. You know what we're going to do? We're about to break a hole in somebody's roof. We're going to risk going into debt in this situation. We're going to risk being yelled at, being hated. We're going to risk whatever, lawsuits, because our friend needs to be healed. They were willing to enter into the risk of faith for their brother and for their friend. And we need to be able to do the same thing. We need to be willing to enter into that risk with one another. You see, a lot of times what happens is we give up on one another. But it's not because we don't really believe that that person has the potential to change. The real reason that we give up on people in the body of Christ is because we don't believe that God has the power to work in their lives. Let me just keep it real. We give up on people because we don't believe that God can work in their lives. We don't really believe that at any moment God can move their heart. And so what happens is we've allowed our hurt. We've allowed our offense. We've allowed the things that, that really cause us to step back. We've allowed the things that they said or the things that they've done, the ways that they've burnt us. We've allowed all those things to keep us from believing for them and for believing for what God wants to do in his body. But I'm here to tell you, in this season, God is moving us into a new area of faith. Where we're willing to take the risk of faith for one another. Where we're willing to hold each other up in prayer. Where we're willing to be vulnerable before each other. Listen, your relationship is not about you and God. It's about you and God and God's people. There is no such thing in the Bible as an individual relationship with Jesus. The minute you enter into a relationship with Jesus, you enter into a relationship with his body. And if you're trying to have this individual relationship with God, you're not really walking in the relationship that God has for you and desires for you. God wants to move us as a community into the risk of faith, as a community where we stand for one another, where we believe for one another, where we hold one another up and we allow him to take us together where it is that he wants us to go. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? You know, stepping into this season, I'm going to end with this. My wife and I. For those of you who don't know, we've been, we're now the youth pastors of Living Hope Christian Center. And you know, Pastor Oscar and Pastor Lissette, they, I want you to stand up real quick. Because this man and woman, this man and woman, woman, stand up. They have laid such an amazing foundation. I want you to stay standing real quick. Because the Lord spoke to me and told me that in this season, he's going to honor this man and woman. Because they stepped out in faith in many ways. They've risked a lot for their family, for their finances, emotions. They would have their house open. They would dig into their wallet. They would, they would take their time, their energy, their schedule, and minister to the youth of this generation and to this culture. They were willing to take the risk of faith. And what they did was lay a foundation for us to begin to step into. And I want to tell you, you are honored in this house. You are honored in this house. You are honored in this house. And in this season, God is going to exalt you. And the faith of your brothers and sisters around you are going to lift you. We're going to take the risk of faith for you. And we're going to stand with you. And God's bringing you into greater things. Amen? Amen. Amen. Together, we're moving into a new place. And we need to be willing to go there. Just like they were willing to take the risk of faith and lay a foundation. Just as Pastor Benjamin and Pastor Sonny are willing to take the risk of faith in their lives. And step out and speak to us. And declare God's word over us. We need to be willing to do the same for one another. And until we do, we're not going to see the power of God like he wants to reveal it. But guess what? We are going to. And we're going to see the power of God like he wants to reveal it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Stand to your feet.
And I want you right now, here's the altar today. I want you just to lift up your hands and I want you to open your heart to go into a step that you haven't taken before. Father, right now, over my brothers and sisters, over these men and women of God, I declare that they are entering into a new realm of faith, God. Father, I declare that they are entering into a new place of faith. For some of them, they need to be carried on the mat. Well, guess what? We're going to help carry you, brother. We're going to help carry you, sister. Amen. When your faith's weak, our faith is going to be strong. And when our faith's weak, your faith is going to be strong. Father, we're stepping out of situational certainty. We're willing to allow you to lead us into places that we haven't gone before, God. Come on, I want you to stir your faith right now. God, at this moment, we're allowing you, Lord, to remove, remove every sense of safety that we felt from our circumstances, our plans, our steps. And Father, right now, we're willing to allow you to take us as a body to places that we've never been taken before. We're willing now, God, and we're ready to believe for things we haven't believed for in the past. We're willing and we're ready, Lord God, to pray prayers that we've never prayed before. We're willing, Lord God, to let our faith grow by studying your word and meditating on it day and night. By clinging to the words that you speak through our pastors and our leaders. We're willing, Lord God, to allow you to take us to the place that you want us to be. God, we're willing now to enter into the risk of faith for one another. To open up our hearts. To be hurt again where we were hurt. To allow you to heal where we need healing. To allow you, Lord God, to give us faith for one another. In ways that we never have. God, we believe that you're restoring our faith right now. Even for your body and your ability to move in your church. The answer is not to kill it. The answer is to use our fish and our loaves to see it whole. To see it fed. God, we declare in the name of Jesus that we are moving as a body into a new place of faith. We're moving as a body into a new place of faith. And I want you right now just to open your mouth and just begin to say, Father, take me to that place of faith that you want me to be. Take me to that place of faith that you want me to be. Come on, open your mouth. And for those of you that want it, I want you to begin to ask. Father, increase the measure of faith right now by your spirit. Increase our measure of faith right now by your spirit. No longer are we going to be paralyzed by fear. No longer are we going to be paralyzed even by safety and certainty, by situational certainty, God. By, by situational security, God, now we're saying, take us into the place of faith, God. Take us into a greater place of faith where we stand on your word and we stand on the one who promised. God, take us there. Come on, some of you right now need to say, God, give me your faith for your body. Some of you need to say, God, give me your faith for your people. I lost faith for other sons and daughters of God. I lost faith for other believers. Some of you right now need to say, God, I'm willing to take that risk of faith. I'm willing to believe. I'm willing to enter into that place. God, we say that we're going there as a body and we're not going to settle for anything less. We're not going to settle for anything less, but we're going to allow you to lead us there. We're going to allow you to lead us there. We're going to be open with one another. We're going to open our lives. We're going to open our hearts. We're going to allow us to be, allow ourselves to be carried when we need to be carried. And we're going to make sure we carry others when they need to be carried. Father, we declare that we are going there in that place of faith. We receive it this morning. Come on, give the Lord a shout of praise this morning. Give the Lord a shout of praise. Amen. I want you to get ready. I want you to get ready to believe for things you've never believed for. To step out in ways that you've never stepped out for.
to pray prayers that you've never prayed before and to watch God move in ways that you've never seen him move before. We're going there together. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of the weekend. We love you. We'll see you next week.